Jay Schultz here. It is time for Cinema Talk, and I have in studio Michelle Faylor. Hi, Michelle. Hi. And on the phone, Bruce Stout. Bruce, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Jay. Thanks for having me, as always. All right. It's great to talk to you, buddy. How's life in Evanston? Or Skokie? Uh, actually, it's Skokie at this yeah. point, but you know, it's stay tuned. Uh, things change quick, and uh, hopefully, I'll be back home, so to speak. Yeah, hopefully. I, so, Evanston is a, hopefully a good Freudian slip, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Hopefully, you're back by the lake here sooner or later. Actually, I liked Skokie. Hey, I, like, I liked working in Skokie. Um, I like, you know, I, I mean, I lived in on Chicago North Side, near Rogers Park area, but Skokie was. You know, very nice. Evanston was great. You know, it's a it's a great area to, uh, to live in and uh, just exist. Yeah, just get me back to the lake. That's, <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, absolutely. absolutely. Well, guys, uh, this is our regular version of Cinema Talk. So let me lead us in here. That means we're willing, we're ready and willing to talk about movies and all things movies. And this week we are finishing off our series on directors that we love. And it's my director this week. And my director of choice, yeah, my director of choice is Tim Burton. Yes. Uh, and I know we all, um, he's got a very specific style that we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. And, and we've, we've all seen several of his movies. I mean, we, I think probably all seen all of his movies. Yeah. Uh, but we'll, let me start out. I'm going to give some biography on Tim. He was born August 25th, 1963 in Burbank, California. So he's two years older than me. Uh, was it a year older than you, Bruce? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> so creative. I wish I had his creativity I at my know. age. But go oh, on. Good Lord. <laughs> he attended Burbank High School and was not particularly a good student. He did not play on. He he did play on the high school water polo team. Oh. What type of high school has a water polo team? What is Can I interject something? Yes, Can I interject some synchronicity? All right. <laughs> Generally, I don't know about you guys. I don't think about water polo, just in general. I mean, no, call me, me crazy. It's just not on my agenda of thought. Okay, but synchronicity strikes. I had no idea you were going to mention that today, Jay. As yeah. God is my witness, yeah. yesterday, a friend of mine out of nowhere chimed in and just said, Bruce. Do you realize Centerville had a water polo team, which I didn't know? But I just thought that was strange. She was out of nowhere. I've known this woman since I was 11, right? Right. And she says that, water polo. So I had to throw that. And then all of a sudden, I'm reading my notes. Oh, Jay's going to mention water polo. Anyway. And you're, and you're like, what is going on? What is the like I said. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. So, Burton, so had, Burton had a very, uh, you know, dark. He was a very dark uh, child. You know, he liked horror films, B-horror movies. Yes. Uh, he was a big fan of those. He made short films in his backyard. One of his oldest juvenile films is The Island of Dr. Agor, <laughs> which he made at the age of 13. Has anyone seen that? I have not seen nope. that yet. Uh, but I will I'd like uh, to. I would like to, absolutely. After high school, Burton attended the California, California Institute for the Arts, where he studied character animation. His early influences were Dr. Seuss and 
Is it Roald Dahl? Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl. Yeah. Roald Dahl. Yeah. My, uh, I think that was the mouse on the motorcycle, if you guys know that. I think so. Uh, yeah. He was, yeah. Yeah. He was married to, who was Ronald Dahl married? Ro- Roald. Roald. It's Roald Dahl. It's Roald, not yeah. Ronald. But... but I always thought it was Ronald, oh, too. Oh, oh. <laughs> sorry, sorry. He was married He was married to some movie star, by the way. I'm we'll, sorry. We we'll, we'll, that we'll, figure, we'll figure that out by the end of the show. Um, oh, as a student, that. no, that's okay. As a student at Cal Arts, Burton made the short films Stock of the Celery Monster and King of the Octopus. <laughs> Stock of the Celery Monster attracted the attention of Walt Disney Productions Animations Division, which offered Burton and animators apprenticeship at the studio. Mm-hmm. He worked as an animator, storyboard artist, graphic designer, art director, and concept artist on films such as The Fox and the Hound, 1981, Tron, 1982, and Black Cauldron. His concept art never made it into the finished films. Uh, and he said, he said, I, I think what his quote was, I can't even copy Disney's style, um, which, I, which I'm glad he does. <laughs> he has his style. Okay, exactly. Good yeah. point. I'm glad. Yeah. He I'm is, glad it worked out that way. Yeah, he is seen in the documentary Waking Sleeping Beauty from 2009 about the rebirth of Disney animation. I think John Lassender, there, there's a bunch of animators uh, that are in this uh, beginning of, the, of this film, which is just wonderful talking about the rebirth of Disney animation. In 1982, while working for Disney, Burton released his six-minute short, Vincent, based upon the poem he wrote and narrated by his boyfriend, boyhood, not boyfriend, boyhood hero, Vincent Price. <laughs> he followed this with a live-action version of Hansel and Gretel, a Japanese-themed adaptation of the Brothers Grimm story for the Disney Channel. And I don't believe it, it, it aired only once in Halloween of 1983, and prints are extremely hard to locate. Yeah. I, I think, like, in 2009, Burton did a uh, some uh, a thing they did like a thing at the museum in mm-hmm. California. And they actually showed this Hansel and Gretel. So I mean, it it, it was available then. It's just very strange. His <laughs> next action short film, uh, excuse me, was Frankenweenie, 1984, starring the voices of Barrett Oliver, Daniel Stern, Sofia Coppola, and Shelley Duvall. Burton was fired by Disney afterwards <laughs> for using funds to make a product they considered too scary for children. <laughs> so they oh, yeah. knew, they knew who he was. They knew what he did. And I don't know if, if you watch Vincent, you can see the style permeate through oh, yes. all of his work. Yes, yes. All of his work. Okay. I, I mean, it, it's sure. crazy. I mean, it, it is exactly who he is, and it's you can show him right there. And Vincent, which I watched that today for the first time, and it's brilliant. I love it. It, it is brilliant, it and times. it's narrated by yeah. Price, which is just yeah. amazing. Yes, um, yes, yeah. So, uh, actor Paul Rubens, who we affectionately know as Pee Wee Herman, <laughs> was a classmate of Burton at CalArt. He was in the theater program at CalArt. He chose Burton to direct the movie version of his TV character, Pee Wee Herman, after watching Frank and Weenie. Pee Wee's Big Adventure was made for about $8 million and grossed more than $40 million in the North America box office and was considered a critical success. And it spawned a sequel, like Big Top Pee Wee, and I'm pretty sure Burton was, involved, was not involved in that. Mm, I don't think so. No? No. <laughs> no, not, not at all. Burton began his decade, decades-long collaboration with Danny Elfman from Oingo Boingo on Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Elfman has scored all but three of Burton's films. The, those films are, uh, let's see, Ed Wood, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, and Miss Peregrine's Peculiar Home for Children. Those are the three he did not score. But, and, we'll, and we'll get to the Danny Elfman later, but this is a collaboration that, I mean, I don't even know how he made those three films without Danny Elfman. Because to me, a Burton <laughs> film, the music that's behind what he's conveying on the screen, you know, that score, 
really they always click it's amazing how good that is yeah yeah i totally agree like i just wanted to add real quickly i was listening to danny elfman yeah on my spotify early today he's great with burton but with oingo boingo you know it's like he also just real quickly about danny elfman he also scored weird science which of course is not a tim burton (laughs) film but i just remember working at the movie theater and i just ran out because of elfman and ran out and got the soundtrack. So, yes, but, I mean, I, he's great in Oingo Boingo. If you guys, I mean, you guys are familiar, but I'm just saying. Yeah. So, no, anyway. go, go ahead, Michelle. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, what did you say? Uh, uh, Bert, Burton and uh, Elfman, Elfman Dennis, sort of go yeah. together, yep. like uh, wait, chocolate, peanut butter, macaroni, macaroni cheese, whatever, whatever your yeah, analogy yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's oh, just yeah, a perfect marriage of visuals and 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 music. You know, eerie, beautiful, eerily beautiful sure visuals and music. That's all I want to say. <laughs> One of the no, best. Very well, good point. Yeah, I mean, it's really like the collaboration between Steven Spielberg and John Williams. I mean, oh, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, just, it just fits together. And can anyone name the movie that Danny Elfman appears in? Appears. As part of the band Oingo Boingo. Uh, 1980s film. Andrew, is it? No, 1980s film starring Roddy Dangerfield. Oh, back, uh, you got, you got back, back to school. It is back to school. Okay. Yeah, he, they the have a. a I got that because I haven't seen that many times. On, there's a there's a band <laughs> sequence in the movie, and and that is absolutely Danny Elfman and the band Oingo Boingo, his band Oingo Boingo. All right. Great band. Oh, absolutely. Burton had, has directed 20 films. His films have been nominated for 25 Academy Awards and winning eight, uh, most notably Martin Landau's performance as Bella Lugosi in Ed Wood, which is terrific. Yes. Um, wonderful work. Uh, did it's you, hilarious. Did you mention what happened? Do you, do you know what happened with uh, uh, Ed Wood and Bella Lugosi he died. and Martin Landau? Oh, you... oh, oh, sorry. No, he won. No, you know, Martin Landau won the Oscar for that performance. Oh, I bet. Did you guys I, know that? You know, no, yes, that's what I just yeah. mentioned. You didn't I'm, know that? <laughs> no, I did know that. I'm sorry. I, I said I said Bella Lugosi died midway through the production of well, Playing Night in Outer Space. Well, he did. Wood, and they then they hired. Yeah, they hired. Yeah, that was hilarious. Real, real quickly, I almost picked that as my choice for Ed Wood. I, that was almost, it, you know, ahead of Batman. But real quickly, yes, in Ed Wood, Bella Lugosi does die in mid-production. Yeah. They hire... I think it's Ed Wood's wife's attorney. Or, no, it's his do- her doctor, and he and she's and he. Bleh, the doctor is like six inches taller than Bella yes. Lugosi was. And <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. But, so Michelle is so right. No, she is, no, Michelle's right. But Landau won the Oscar yes, for his portrayal. And yeah. Landau didn't. Well, Landau did pass away, but not. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, but that's. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's well, why. Well, I said well, that, yeah, I know I the story. Of, no, that, story. No, no, yeah. I know. Yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> All right. No, no, no. no it's, it's a great story, and, and it really is a wonderful film and, you know, great performances all around, which is it's funny considering, you know, it's based upon the making of Plan 9 for Outer Space. Yes, which is amazing. Many, many, yeah. Well, many consider it one of the worst films yes, ever but made. but it's it, also hilariously it, amazing. It, it is hilariously amazing, no <laughs> doubt. All right, so Burton uh, wrote the story and the characters for A Nightmare Before Christmas. He produced the film, but he did not direct the film. He actually had his CalArts yes. alumni, uh, Henry Selleck, directed the film and to me you know from a visual standpoint oh, yeah. this movie screams oh, tim burton yes, it does. screams yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And you I would knew never know he directed it yeah you would never know that and who was the voice of jacks the voice of the talking jack skeleton chris, chris uh, randon Catherine o'hara was this, sally i've I, seen this movie like literally a hundred times and so. the singing voice was danny elfman right 
Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Michelle. Yes, yes, yes. Michelle got it. It was Chris Sarandon who yeah. was the the, the uh, talking voice, yeah. the dialogue voice, oh. and Danny Elfman was the singing voice. Yeah, that's for, right. Yes. So let's okay, talk. Let's, let's talk about um, Burton's style, and there is a terrific article on Box. If you look up, you know, Tim Burton films visual style that talks about his style and it's uh, you know German expressionism so I'm gonna read this just from this article because it really needs to be said Burton's films have a very unique visual style so much so that his films are considered Burton-esque Burton's own aesthetic reflects German expressionism more than any other style Expressionism began as a modern art movement and quickly expanded to influence art across Europe in the 1920s Drawing upon what was then the still new field of psychotherapy, Expressionist film became a cinematic (laughs) medium in which the overall scenic and production design produced a feeling of dreamlike unreality and psychological tension for the viewer. The traits of Expressionism have have become incorporated so successfully into certain modes of storytelling within art, cinema, and animation that the casual viewer might not realize that these features are all have a distinct origin point. Among the most distinctive features are sharply exaggerated backdrops and landscapes with high color contrast, typically uh, relying heavily on the use of shadows and silhouettes to heighten a feeling of tension or dread. Sets with jagged edges or alternatively rounded, tilted, or visually disjointed and just discombobulated spaces are other another key elements. So, oh yeah. Yeah, and and just really quickly, I yeah. I study German expressionism yes. in film school, and I love it. Like I absolutely love with like you know Fritz Lang and um and you know I just love the genre. And I remember watching Robert Veen, well, Robert Veen's uh, masterpiece, Doctor Cap- Do- Cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Can I speak today? Caligari, yeah. the yeah. masterpiece of Ger- German expressionist mm-hmm. expression cinema. Film. And I'm sitting there in the, the in the auditorium at college, and I'm like. That looks like Tim Burton. Obviously, it wasn't, yeah, you know, right. like, but I mean, my, that's where my mind went instantly. Obviously, oh, no, it was does. Oh, yeah. At that it time, but I, like it was just so interesting. I was so closely associated that with Burton. So, uh, yeah, a great, excellent breakdown of his connection to German expressionism. Yeah. I definitely uh, agree with that. And also, his work was very gothic as yes, well, right? Very yeah. Goth. Yeah. 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 So, oh, boy, and as a, as a goth girl, oh yeah, oh, I got a lot of talk to talk about in terms yeah. of my goth past. Prepared for it too. Absolutely. All right. Burton likes to begin his films with the camera view moving through an object, most notably in in like Batman, right, where the movie starts with the Elfman score, yeah. which we'll play that a little bit later, where the camera view swoops through the Batman insignia and then turns, and you can see the entire, you know, the the Batman insignia and. It's just wonderful, yes. and he yes. does such it's a, a great credit sequence. No, it no. is really a great and credit sequences. I think are very over, uh, excuse me underlooked. Yeah, yes. no overlooked. overlooked. You, know, you know what I meant. Yes. Yeah, but that's, that's a case yeah. where it really is. But go ahead. Right. We'll get to Batman in a minute. Now, Burton has a group of actors he likes to work with: Johnny Depp eight times, Helena Bohem Carter seven times, Christopher Lee and Michael Go five times, Michael Keaton four times, Lisa Marie four times, Danny DeVito four times. Winona Ryder and Martin Landau each three times. Just, I mean, he's got other collaborators too that he's that he's worked with. Burton's movies have grossed almost two billion domestically and almost four point five billion internationally. Burton had a small role as the character Brian in Cameron Crowe's nineteen ninety two film Singles. Didn't know that. <laughs> I had no idea. He also was. I didn't un- either. Yeah, he was also uncredited as a corpse in Danny DeVito's nineteen ninety two film Hoffa, which is actually perfect role for him. I'm sure he loved that. Uh, yeah, that's I hilarious. didn't know. That. I didn't know that either. And he was uncredited as the alien on the monitors in Men in Black Three, uh, directed by Barry oh, Sonnenfeld, two thousand twelve. 
He appeared in two of his own films, Pee-wee's Big Adventure in 1985 and Miss Peregrine's Peculiar Home for Children in 2016. He recently directed the seven-part series Wednesday, based on the character Wednesday Adams from the Adams Family, which will air this fall on Netflix. And they've already they just released a trailer. It looks fantastic. I see that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh he yeah. Was, he was married to Lena Gusecki from 1987 to 1991. Partnered with Lisa Marie from 1991 to 2001, and with Helen Helena Boehm Carter from 2001 to 2014. And he has two children. All right. Now we deep dive. Let's talk about Michelle's film. Michelle? Yes. Um, I'm okay. Yes, I'm really excited. I, to be honest, I, to these last few days revisiting Burton's work, like I just, it really hit me, like how much he's really resonated with me yeah. over the years and how wonderful. much he really meant, he's meant to me. Yep. I'm sorry. Um, no, you're okay. So I do want to talk a little bit about um, why he resonates with me yeah, so much. Yeah, absolutely. So, I don't know. I would. Uh, I think Bruce, you said the first director's name you ever recognized was Steven Spielberg when you were younger. I would assume, yeah, Jay. I'm sure you have that first director that you recognize. You're like, that's yes. a director. I, I did say yeah, that. Yeah, and mine is Tim Burton. And I didn't maybe have the director. You know, I didn't really know what a director was at the time. I didn't have the film language or vocabulary to really understand what a director was. But when I looked at the back of that VHS box, yes, I'm dating myself, <laughs> and it saw Tim Burton. I, or, right, you know, I saw Tim Burton on that box. I knew this was a movie I was going to love. Same thing with Nightmare Before Christmas. I, again, I didn't know that he didn't direct it, but yeah, obviously it bleeds Burton. Yeah, and it, it is and I saw film. his name on the back of that box. Yeah. I could tell by the front of the box it was his film. So um, Burton, yeah, as we said, grew up in suburban Burbank, and he was a loner, and he felt different, and he had trouble connecting with others. Like you said, he found comfort in watching monster movies, and and you know he was more comforted by those you know those monsters than he was by being around like people in his neighborhood. I also was an outcast who grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in Wheeling, in the Chicago suburbs, and um, actually Burton called Bur- suburban Burbank the pit of hell, which is pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> oh wow! I Whoa. also well wait a minute. If he called if he called yeah. it the pit of hell, he loved working, loved living in there. <laughs> you right? would think, right? right, right. <laughs> I mean, I think there was a dichotomy there. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, Holly. <laughs> Wood wasn't too far away so right. I think there was like a dichotomy there so also um you know when I was a kid I loved reading and watching you know horror horror films you know I would I would find refuge within uh cinema and and horror literature instead of going out and hanging out with the neighborhood kids so I really connected with Burton in that way and I want to share this quote that Helena Bottom Carter said about Burton he understands everyone's separateness and isolation that feeling that you don't fit in or that you're different and Tim Burton was one of the first people to make me feel less alone in the world <laughs> To make me feel like it was okay wow. to be weird, that it was okay to be That's dark, sure absolutely. that it was okay absolutely. to not be like everybody else. Yeah. And while I will never ever meet, yes. pro- probably never meet this man in my life, but you <laughs> hey, never say never. <laughs> I can't possibly possibly express how much this man's work is meant to me. Let's so talk. Thank you so much. Well, and um, so now I'm going to get into uh, <laughs> dig into your movie. Let's yeah. hear it. So. Um, Ever Scissorhands is from 1990, um, story by Tim Burton and Carolyn Thompson, who co-wrote that, uh, starring uh, Johnny Depp, Winona Ryder, Diane Weist, Anthony Michael Hall, who plays a real um, not-so-nice person <laughs> in this film, uh, Kathy Baker, yeah. Alan Arkin, whom I completely forgot was in this film until recently, and the um, great horror icon Vincent Price. So Burton's films are often about outsiders like himself. I think we could agree with that. Yeah. Edward Scissorhands is this oh, yeah. misconstrued, eccentric, literal, literal creation. Um, he, Vincent Price, as the inventor, creates Edward in his um, iconic creepy castle, typical like creepy castle you'd see in horror films. Now, Edward, oh, yeah. um, 
You could say peculiar appendages. He has scissors for hands. It's pretty obvious from the title. <laughs> they are yeah, uh, a little bit, <laughs> just a little, a little obvious. Are the source, uh, but you know, as weird as they make him seem, they're and as hard as it makes, you know, sometimes he has a trouble getting dressed or eating. But they're also the source of an immense and unique talent. He makes these gorgeous he uh, hedge sculptures. He's able to cut people's hair and groom dogs in really cool ways. So now Burton has said films like uh, he th views films like therapy. They help us work through our past and kind of figure ourselves out and this film strangely enough has really kind of helped me embrace my weirdness and kind of figure out my own identity <laughs> and embrace it so I totally agree with that idea of film as therapy I think I think we all kind of would as connected as we are to cinema all of us so Edward is a composite Absolutely. of iconic monsters that Burton loves like Frankenstein Phantom of the Opera Hunchback of Notre Dame I think you could see that all those influences within Edward um, like I said Edward lives in this like super cool castle um, writer uh, Ian Neathan says it looks like it could have been a, like an old set from a classic universal horror film again showing those right. influences that Burton has you know huge horror influences um, so so again, Edward lives in this castle with Vincent Price, his creator, until he unfortunately passes away. And a very sweet, well-meaning Diane Weiss. I love Diane Weiss. Like, well, she's wonderful. She's wonderful. Yep. Uh, she, yeah, she she's brings, wonderful. Yeah. Is she Academy Award-winning Diane Weiss? Yes, she is. I think Hannah and her sister, yes, she, yeah. she yes. won for yes. Yeah, and she brings him home yes, to live exactly. with her. Oh, you're right. Yeah, in this, in this, so there's a suburban neighborhood that this creepy castle overlooks. And what's hilarious is, like, the castle is, like I said, like, straight out of a typical universal horror film. And the suburban neighborhood is absolutely, to me, repulsive. And there's a lot of, I think that's obviously the point. So there's obviously critiques of suburbia in this film which are represented visually by the neighborhood so if you remember that film the houses are all they all kind of look the same like they were built in the 1950s or 60s and they're all painted this yes. sickly I would say sickly pastel color because it actually makes me nauseous to look at these houses so um and I actually as a kid I was like I'm like, I'd rather live in the cool castle. Like, I don't want to live down in the suburbs with all these, like, first of all, it's ugly. And second of all, these people are, you know, they turned out to be very closed-minded and they kind of live mundane lives. So to me, I was definitely, again, reflecting sort of my views on suburbia. And I was, yeah, like, no, oh, I want to live in the castle. That's cool. You know, this neighborhood, this this <laughs> sucks. I don't want to be here. So just a fun fact about the, the scenes, the, the suburb scenes were filmed in a real neighborhood in Florida. The houses were temporarily painted that pastel color obviously yeah, right. they painted them back <laughs> but right. the owners of the house uh the houses actually stayed at a super eight motel <laughs> while they filmed wow that. they really splurged yeah. for oh, yeah that. yeah they really yeah they played yeah super eight <laughs> <laughs> well leave the no light on for you, you. Not, yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> motel six <laughs> close <yeah>. enough <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, oh sorry about that no but it might as well be motel six yeah so um yeah. of course the at first the suburban residents they embrace edward you know they think he's kind of cool because he's making these hedge sculptures and he's cutting his hair but then unfortunately they turn on him and, and it's literally almost like going back to Frankenstein where they're exactly. like they actually you know <laughs> chase him Frankenstein reference is pretty strong you get it's, yeah. it's yeah it's very apparent in this you know they might as they don't have torches as they're chasing him out of town but they are that they might as well have they might as well and um <laughs> the ice dance uh, scene is one of my favorites in all of cinema where uh Edward is carving that ice sculpture Winona Ryder comes out she does this really elegant dance and that gorgeous that eerily stunning Danny Elfman score I mean I cannot watch that without the little yep. hairs on my arm yeah. standing up and I will cry like I cannot help it and I just want to end by saying you know the ender is the ending is somber in some way you know because Edward's chased out of town he's back in his castle but if you think about it in a way the film at the end suggests that he's 
you know, he's out there, he's creating his art, you know, in his space. And, you know, and, and who wants to hang out with those suburban jerks anyway? You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, screw them. So to me, what I took from this film, you know, it, it taught me to love, I think it teaches all of us to love uh, what others may think is weird about us or yeah. what others may try to tell us is weird or not normal about us. Mm-hmm. Often what others think is weird or we may think is weird about us is a source of our unique talents and gifts that we can share with the world to make the world a little bit more beautiful and unique, just like Edward does with his art. So that's my, those are my thoughts on that. Uh-huh. Go, Michelle! Yeah, it really Sorry, is. Uh, I, I love that in-depth. <laughs> Bruce, what are your thoughts on Edward Scissorhands? I have a few. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, Michelle touched on this, but I want to point out that it's absolutely, first of all, Edward Scissorhands, it, it, whether you like it or not, whatever whatever value judgment, you cannot deny it is unique, much the same as Nightmare. There's just nothing like it. It hasn't been copied. It, thank God it hasn't tried to be copied. But more importantly, if you think about it, if you've ever seen a film like The Actual Bride of Frankenstein, yes. The Frankenstein monster, which some people call Frankenstein, well, actually, it's Dr. Frankenstein's monster, is a very, very poignant, misunderstood creature. And I isolate on Bride because she rejects him. So he's a very sad creature. Yes, yes he's scary and he's a horrible, but Edward Scissorhand echoes that so perfectly. He is a very sad creature. Of mm-hmm. course he is. And Michelle was right. It doesn't end... You know, I think Edward Scissorhands has kind of a, uh, a conflicting nuance. On the one hand, it's very, very sad, and obviously it's one of the first times, as Michelle pointed out, that Gothic people or misunderstood people mm-hmm. have sort of a forum on film. Yes. But it's bittersweet. It's, I, I think the operative word is poignant, and I'll, and I'll let Jay, but um, the other thing, too, is Kathy Baker, J.O., you and I a while back were talking about what I would call utility actors, meaning yeah, yeah. they're very, very good actors, but of course they're not household names. Yeah. I don't think Kathy Baker is a household name. She's no. very pretty, but she is a brilliant, overlooked yeah, actor. And we yeah. like bring her up. We, we frequently talk about collaborations, you know, directors, creative forces. Um, we're going to talk about Michael Keaton in a minute, but I mentioned Kathy Baker. Because her and Michael Keaton are in a film called, right before Batman, Clean and Sober. And I'm not going to go off on a tangent on that. But both of those films, some say it's Michael Keaton's finest performance, better than Birdman um, and whatever, certainly Batman. But I wanted to mention that collaboration. So it's entirely possible if you look at the whatever six ways to uh, Tim Burton, (laughs) Michael Keaton and Kathy Baker collaborated on that. Kathy Baker shows up in Scissorhands. And I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> that's yeah. it. No, that's right. So my and I, I did not watch Edward Scissorhands again to, but I remember all of it. And at the beginning, I, my understanding, what I remember is, it's actually Winona Ryder as a as a grandmother yes. telling a story. Yes. So yes. Tim Burton is literally telling you a story yeah. within a story, and yes, here's so everything about this movie is fictional in that like there's no name on the police cars yeah. there's and there's no time so right. it looks like it's the 1950s and 60s but there's they're stealing cds yeah. from someone's there's house so there's, you don't, you don't, there, there, yeah. is, there is no time frame 
in yes. this movie. And yes. there's this, you know, yes. ancient castle at the yeah. end of this suburban yes. area. It's yes. truly a story within a story that yeah. Tim Burton is telling yes, us. Is. And he's a master. Yeah. This is masterful work by Burton. It's, it's a terrific film. Depp, Winona Ryder. I mean, everyone in this movie, even Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah. If you hate the villain, if you hate the yeah. villain, he's done his job. He's done his whole job. He's done his job. That's right. what you want to do, right? You want to hate the villain, and yeah. and he gives you that. You, you know, he, and he and if you think about this, it's so funny that when you think about him, that scrawny kid in in Sixteen Candles and Breakfast Club, he was he was a big dude at this point, and oh, he yeah. really yeah, grew yeah, up, yeah, you know. Yeah, and yeah. we got to see Mike, yeah. Anthony Michael Hall grow on stage. No, oh, it's yeah. it's it's a wonderful story within a story. Um, again, you you don't know where you are or what what you're doing. You know what time it is. It 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 really is masterful, and and I think this is Price's last big movie on the screen. Yes, I believe you so. Know, he died three years later, yeah, nineteen ninety three. Yeah. So yeah. I think he did like three projects later, but I think he was voiceover stuff. It wasn't actual movie stuff, and this was his I last think I heard film. That too, yeah. yeah, he was wonderful. So Bruce, before we start you, yeah. you gotta let me do mm-hmm. this. I can hum this if you want. <laughs> we'll just do a little bit here. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's Danny. Mr. Elfman, yeah, the uh, the uh, introduction in Batman, the credit scene, and uh, yeah, one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. I love that. I love that mm-hmm. movie soundtrack. But Bruce, you are going to talk to us about Batman. Uh, Jay Schultz, you ready for this? I'm ready. My fond, my fondest memory of the opening credit music by Danny Elfman. I worked for a company called Blockbuster Video. My manager. was Wow, what a difference. God is my witness. I was the evening manager. You were generally the mornings. I would close up shop, and I would, like, make sure the store was clean. I would play that song to motivate me. Yeah. <laughs> so you're probably not supposed to know that. But no, now you it's all right. <laughs> I don't know if I could get busted for that. Yeah, you're um, good. Uh, all right, Batman debuted on my birthday. WHIO Channel Seven interviewed me on uh, wow. Friday, June twenty third, nineteen. I think I told you guys. I know I told Michelle that. Um, so yes, I guess my namesake. You know, I was named after the guy. I'm good. Just gonna leave it at that. So many things I can tell you about this film. Uh, the most importantly, some would say it put Tim Burton on the map. I will confess. Until I saw a piece on ABC's 2020, I never heard of Tim Burton. But I knew I loved Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which to this day is one of my favorite comics. Probably in my top five. Anyway, the thing, I, there's not, again, we're challenged, guys, because what can you say about that film that hasn't? But, you know, shortly before we went to air, we were talking about the integrity, because Warner Brothers was a huge studio. At that time, Frank Miller's Dark Knight, uh, well, there was two people. Culturally, there were two um, incarnations of Batman at that time. 
that they were familiar with. One would be the campy 60s, uh, 1966, 67 Adam West, very campy, um, bad taste in the mouth for Batman Pierce. Then we had Frank Miller's uh, The Dark Knight, a uh, graphic novel, which was released in 86. I read that and reread that and reread that. So that almost had a culture, uh, I guess you could say, almost to itself. Um, and so, therefore, Warner Brothers uh, was very resistant to not only – it was John Peters, I think, was the catalyst. He, I, if I'm not mistaken, was the executive producer for Batman. Um, so they were tasked with, you know, rendering on film, almost having to compare it. You know, they're up against the TV series, but they're also against, uh, up against rather, uh, films like the 1978 Superman with Christopher Reeve, which of course Tim Burton bears no resemblance. But I'm trying to to sort of uh, paint the picture of the mindset of the studio. But you know, uh, Jay and Michelle were frequently talking about maintaining. Um, uh, integrity as a director, your creative mm-hmm. force, yeah. and not compromising to the studio. Yes, yes. However, or better yet, striking that delicate balance between, let's face it, making a crowd-pleasing large studio film, which he succeeded, without compromising um, his integrity. And, of course, we know Bob Kane uh, authored the very first Batman and uh, Bill Finger, Jay and I and Michelle, we were talking about he was overlooked for so many decades. And then finally, you know, Jay, real quickly, what was the story he was ignored for all those years? Bill Finger, that is. Yeah, he, well, I mean, he was a, he did illustration for, for you know, Bob Kane. And, right, he was and, the primary illustrator. Right, and, 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 and yeah, yeah, and there's actually a documentary about Bill Finger. So I would recommend, and I'll, I'll get that documentary name so I can recommend it to people to watch because it's fascinating. And, you know, Finger really deserved a lot of credit. And, and even Kane at the end of his life said Bill did not get the credit yeah. he deserved. And he was the one that destroyed yeah. his life, really, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, it, yeah, it, I would yeah, highly recommend ample. it. Yep. Go ahead. Well, getting yeah, getting back to it. The other thing I did, you know, let me just read the notes. Of course, you know, it starred uh, Michael Keaton. Uh, oddly, not oddly enough, I'm being sarcastic. Of course, Jack Nicholson got uh, top billing. He was reviewed in 1989 as the casting coup of all time, casting Jack Nicholson as the Joker. And we can go on and on about different actors playing the Joker, but that's a story for another day. Uh, Kim Basinger. Vicky Bill playing Vicky Bill. Robert Wool was pretty good as the journalist. Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon's another character. Uh, Pat Hingle definitely put his stamp on it, but he's been, Commissioner Gordon has been very intrinsic to Batman's mm-hmm. upbringing. Zoe yeah. D. Williams, they, he was, you know, Harvey Dent, who eventually, as we know, another, you know, uh, what am I looking at? Iterations of Batman goes on to be two faced, but you have no idea uh, Harvey Dent is going to do that in the 89 film. Michael Gallows, Alfred, uh, Alfred the Butler, and Jack Palance, uh, who's, who's very good at, um, uh, I can't remember the bad, the crime boss. He was a crime uh, boss above Nicholson, yeah. Gus Grissom, that's his name, or right. something, or something Grissom. Not Gus Grissom, he's a astronaut. But anyway, <laughs> one thing I've been, I've been musing about all day long is, do you all know who Anton First is? No. No, go ahead. Okay, just just like you might say Helena Bonham Carter is Tim Burton's muse or Danny Elfman is his music, we all know what the 89 
Batmobile looked like. We all know what Gotham City looked like, as opposed to an organic city like Chicago, like with the Dark Knight or Pittsburgh and the Dark Knight trilogies. One of the things, the reason why I bring up Anton first, he died during production. He designed, the production designer, Anton first, designed that Batmobile. He designed, he worked with the set design as far as Gotham City. So not only does Tim Burton put the stamp on Batman, but also Anton first, who passed away. So, I mean, it is no small feat to make an enduring uh, a Batmobile. And, you know, there's a picture of him and Tim Burton um, sitting on it. Real quickly, because I know our time is limited, because, again, I don't know what to say besides Anton first, but Tim Burton, I'll just make this observation, Tim Burton looks like his movies. What I mean, what I mean by that, I can't argue with that. What I mean by that is, I finally, I had never seen him, and like I said, that piece, uh, 2020, uh, to coincide with the release of Batman, and you know, they're heralding it as, as bad. And like I said, I had never heard of Tim Burton, and then I found out Pee Wee, and I loved that film. But he looks, I, I'd never seen him before, and he's this very humble, shaggy. I mean, at least at that time. He's handsome, but certainly not in a conventional sense. But what I mean, he looks like what would become a film. He's a very goth-looking dude. And I mean, in a good way. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Do you guys right. see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah, that, <laughs> Batman is, to say the least, like, you know, a la any Tim Burton film, puts his stamp on it. But the last thing I'll say about Gotham City, as I said earlier, when Christopher Nolan did his Dark Knight trilogy, he used an actual uh, organic uh, city like Chicago or Pittsburgh. Um, Gotham City, like we were talking about, Edward Scissorhands, is kind of timeless and in a favorable way. It looks like it was shot in the back lot, a very extravagant right, back right. lot of like, let's say, one, but I mean that in a good way. In other words, it's a character all its own. It doesn't look like Chicago, you know what I mean, or an actual city. So that's it. I want to hear you guys. Um, well, Bruce, you did such an excellent <laughs> job of summer. Is it talking no, about stop. Batman? No, I mean Batman and DC. This is this is stuff that's not too familiar to me. I'm, I don't know a lot about um, superheroes that's and DC okay. comics and all that. So you did. Thank you for that little um, lesson there. Uh, yes, I did. I did watch the film. Unfortunately, it was like 30 years ago, uh, but I liked it. I did really like it. Again, yeah. I recognize that a uh, Burton uh, style, and that's why I was drawn to this film, even though I wasn't really into superhero films. But uh, I, of course, I, I, but I rewatched the sequel constantly. Batman Returns. I watched all the time because of the great Michelle great Pfeiffer's film, Catwoman, by the way. which yeah. is my favorite Catwoman of all time, and that's really all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> It really. Jay, what I, I, lo- I love Batman Returns, and yeah. was was always disappointed that we did not get another Burton yeah. uh, uh, Batman film because I wanted I wanted to see Michelle well, you know Pfeiffer. He produced, yeah. yeah, I didn't I mean to interrupt, but he yeah. produced forever. Yeah, he didn't direct it, and it doesn't have much of a Burton because, as we know, Joel Schumacher. Uh, right. right. Real quickly, they were planning on having Tim Burton direct the third. Yes. I forget what the studio happened, but if you watch a documentary, they do kind of tease you with what it would have looked like and so forth. Uh, but okay, go ahead. No, that's right. So, um, I so my story here is that in Bruce, what is the date? In 1989, this movie came out. Uh, June twenty third. Oh, you mean uh, Beetlejuice? Oh, no, 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 no Batman. Oh, oh no. 
oh, it debuted on my birthday, and I was named after Batman. So yes, they did put me on TV. What day? No, what day was it though? What day? Oh, what day of the week? Yes, no, the date, the date, June what? Twenty third. Thank you. That and I couldn't remember your birthday off the top of my head. Okay. Like you didn't know. Well, I'm flashing you back. Th- don't feel bad. Michelle forgot my birthday too. <laughs> oh, I'm no, gonna let me that one down. All right. So <laughs> I'm, no, I'm gonna flash you back to June twenty third, nineteen eighty nine. This is the only time in my life that I've ever seen the movie twice on its opening day. Oh, wow. And we went to the eleven a.m. We went to the eleven a.m. show oh. of Batman at the Eden's Theater up on uh, ninety four, heading to. Uh, Milwaukee. It is gone. It's been gone since the early 2000s. It was a huge theater, like a. You know, 12, I've been there 12, with you, Jay. Yeah, you saw Dark Man with me there. Yes. Yes, uh, I, I did. I saw Batman Returns at that same theater. Anyway, so we saw it at the 11 o'clock show. Then we went into Chicago. Uh, my friend, very good friend, Doug Ellerbach. We went to see, uh, and I took Kelly, and he took his wife. They were not married at that point, but Kim. Kim and Doug and, and Kelly and I, we went to see Batman at the 7 o'clock show at the Lincoln Village Theater, which is also gone. But quick story about that. Oh, yeah. Quick story about that. We are actually lined up inside of the movie theater to go in uh, to see the movie. And it's at the big screen at Lincoln uh, Village, right? We're lined up, and all of a sudden there's a commotion coming from the theater. There's really loud ruckus. And this guy comes flying out the main doors, and here comes this this um, usher this Rastafani haired usher comes out and he picks this guy up and takes him out of the movie theater. Evidently, this guy was causing a commotion. And like a month later, I went to, a month later, I went to a movie and that guy was working the front desk. He was working the ticket booth. And I thought, I said, dude, that's one of my favorite movie moments of all time is when he threw that guy out of bed. He said, he said, yeah, it was something. And I remember going into Batman, everyone running to their seats that night. And we were lined, we were running to our seats. To go to get where you want to sit. Can I can yeah. I interject something yeah. real funny? Speaking of box office, right? Yeah. So when I was the assistant manager at the Dayton Movies downtown, we screened a film you two have never heard of. It's called Blue Velvet. Oh yes. And I was the assistant manager, which meant I was a projectionist. You know, I. Like the, but one of my duties was to actually be the box office personnel, and they, my manager, dared me. To, and you're never supposed to say this because you're supposed to sell tickets. But if anybody came to the box office and said, yeah, we'll have two for Blue Velvet, I'm like, are you sure you're ready for this? Almost as if I were talking them out. Right. <laughs> Why? You know what I'm I can imagine seeing that in the, the theater, theater in 86 going, oh Cole, holy cow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to interject that because that you were wild. talking about right. the black level. So anyway, I go. never saw that in the theater. I, I've never seen it on video, but yeah, what a, what a oh, very strange you don't know what you're All right, missing. so my only thoughts on this movie. All right, here are my thoughts. I love this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it represented, I mean, that's the summer that I moved to Chicago. Uh, I remember buying The Dark Knight beforehand. That you know, the guy at the comic book store said, "No, if you want to get rid of this movie, you know, read Frank Miller's Dark Knight." Um, I love everything. You know, there's huge problems with mov- this movie. Commissioner Gordon, Pat Hingle, wonderful actor. He was horrible in this role. Uh, uh, Bill- Billy D. Williams. I agree. I Billy agree D. With Williams. You, <laughs> Billy D. Williams, wonderful actor, wasted as Harvey Dent. Wasted as Harvey Dent. But everything else, I'm Robert. Well, he's so overlooked. Yeah, that right. I don't so even know why they got him in the movie. They didn't even. They should just edit right. him out. Uh, but everything else, yep. Nicholson was wonderful. Uh, you know, Keaton. Yep. Keaton was very, very good. Kim Bassinger, love this movie. Other than that, now, and Michael Go as Alfred was perfect. 
He, yep. he was wonderful. Yep. So, yes, those are my final thoughts on Batman. So, Bruce, can I jump to the last right. film? Uh, do, do I have any last quotes about Batman? Well, no, it's okay if I jump to the last movie here. Oh yes, of course you have my permission. And this is this is this is my choice. Now I'm going to caveat. I'm going to caveat this by saying that this is not my. I this is not the film. I think is Burton's best film. I think Big Fish okay. is his best movie because I think it's good choice from a person from a personal life experience. This Big Fish is a wonderful film telling the story of a, of a boy growing up into a man and finding out, you know, realizing what his father really is, you know, Ewan McGregor and it was Ewan McGregor, right? Yes, and, yes. and, uh, Albert Finney, yep. Albert, who I love saw him on the stage at Steppenwolf. Yeah. It's a wonderful film, but I chose Beetlejuice because I think this film represents his style yes. the most other than nightmare yeah, before so. Christmas, which isn't, he didn't direct. However, if you grab a cover box, grab a cover box from Nightmare Before for Christmas, it says Tim Burton presents yes, Nightmare does. Before I, Christmas. I, I, I know it does. I know it does. <laughs> yes, it does. You're right. That's why I thought right. for years. That's that. why I thought for years that he directed it, but yeah. he did not direct it. But it's a Tim Burton it's film. It's got him all over it, though. Come on. All now. right. So anyway, Beetlejuice, 1988, story by Michael McDowell. Larry Wilson and Warren Skarin, starring Michael Keaton, Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Winona Ryder, Catherine O'Hara, Jeffrey Jones, Robert Goulet, Dick Cavett, and Glenn Shaddix. Glenn Shaddix, who played Otho, he passed away. Yeah, he was great. He was wonderful. When he died in September of 2010, the last song performed at his memorial service was Deo, the Banana Boat Song. Oh, I love that. Oh, wow. Distributed by Warner Brothers. Uh, uh, it was made for $15 million, uh, was made for $15 million, grossed $75 million. Spawned the ABC animated series of the same name that was an executive produced by Burton. Did you watch it? I loved it. It was one of my favorites when I was a little yeah. kid. And why Leave I liked it, it okay, why I loved it also was because Liddy and Beetlejuice were friends. Yes. And also in the in the Ghostbusters cartoon that came out around the same time, Slimer and the Ghostbusters were, were friends. friends. And right. I, just, yeah, I, just, yeah, yeah. I was a kid. I thought it was well, kid. They, 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 they made it kid-friendly. Yeah. The TV show ran for just over three years from 1990, 1989 to 1991. There's also video games and a 2018 stage musical. And um, actually, there was a a show at Universal that's gone now, unfortunately, but it was like Beetlejuice Ghost Tour or something like that. And you sat outside and, like and, what, and yeah. the performers. It was wonderful. I sat and it, it's gone. They put the Fast and the Furious ride there, which is awful. It's, <laughs> it's awful. It's a remake of this. It's a remake. They essentially remade the ride from from California. It's terrible. Uh, they should have brought. But Beetlejuice still. They do the the um, monster makeup show, the make special effects show. He still uh, does like the introductions for that. So oh. that's good. All right. Uh, okay. There was only $1 million budgeted for visual effects for this movie, which replaced animation, uh, prosthetic makeup, and blue screen with stop motion. Burton's uh, intention was to make the film's style similar to the B-movies he grew up with as a child. He wanted the effects to appear cheap and worked with the, with the budget, so it worked out. I mean, it, all the effects are oh, cheap. Sure right out of Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> Exterior shots were filmed in East Corneth, Vermont, Interior were filmed in California. The original screenplay was much, much darker, considered a horror film. That I didn't know. Yeah. Very interesting. He originally, that I didn't know, but that makes sense. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. He originally wanted Sammy Davis Jr. for this role. Uh, but obviously, <laughs> that always cracked me up. Uh, I, I know about that one. The, the role yeah. is Beetlejuice, but uh, Michael Keaton. <laughs> Michael Keaton considers this his favorite film that he worked on. He As loves this film. Yeah, uh, he had lived the vast majority of the lives. I'm still imagining Sammy Davis Jr. 
I know. I'm sorry. I'm still imagining. I know. And 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 Keaton only appears in 14.5 minutes of this 14 and a half minutes of this film. But I mean, he's That's obviously amazing. it's it's kind of like Cannibal Lecter, right? You know, Anthony Hopkins is only yeah. like 12 minutes yes. of Silence yes. of the Lambs. Time, yeah, right? not a lot of time. Beetlejuice was the first DVD sent out by Netflix in 1998. And I mentioned to Glenn Shaddix, who played Otho, one of my favorite scenes, where you're going, hold up, round boy, we're going to have some fun. And he, he shoots him, yeah. and he's, he's dressed in polyester. That is, that whole sequence is fantastic. Like, the outfits are so yeah, horrifying, yeah. like, you can't deal with yeah. it. <laughs> so, again, so I remember seeing this. I took a date. I was in college. It was my senior year. I took a date to this movie. And I remember watching this movie going, what? Am I watching on this screen because it was so different <laughs> from anything you had yeah. ever seen? It I had, I had seen, I had seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure, yeah. and there's no Burton yeah. style in Pee-wee's Big no, Adventure. No, not it, really. No. But this movie is Tim Burton, without a doubt, from beginning to end. All the the the, the gothic, the 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 special effects, the, the afterlife stuff, oh, all yeah. of it is screams Tim Burton, and it it's. It is so much fun. Yes, Keaton steals the is. show. And really, everyone in this movie does a fantastic job. Catherine O'Hara is just, just out of her mind, you know. And, yeah, yep. and known to re- introduce the Winona, well, she was in another movie beforehand. Lucas? Lucas, yes. I'm a she was in Lucas. Yeah, fan sure was. Yeah. <laughs> but, yes. 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 Your thoughts, um, Michelle? Well, uh, well, I started the show crying. I'm glad I can I can end it laughing. So uh, <laughs> Edward Scissorhands, yeah, again, makes me cry in that really cathartic way. This movie just makes me laugh. It never yep. fails to make me laugh. It nurtures my really kind of twisted, dark sense of humor. I mean, there's even little moments Yay. that crack me up in this film, like when um, Beetlejuice says that he's got to get married, and then it cuts to that reaction shot of Winona Ryder and that like repulse look. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. On her face. Like even just like the acting is so good, and just little, it's just so funny. And I love how the afterlife is like this bureaucracy, sort of like t- you know, kind of like Brazil in right, the sense right. that yeah, that has right. a representation of bureaucracy. Take that, a number. Yeah, you got to take a number. You got to stand in that. So. Even when you're dead, you still got to deal with the same boring bull crap that you do, you know, when, yeah, right. you're, when you're alive. Now, as I <laughs> as I mentioned before, I was a goth chick. Yes, I was. Um, I still am in many ways. Don't really look the part anymore. I don't have the, the black hair and the black makeup anymore. But uh, Lydia Dietz very much made, hard, me, that's what matters. made me yeah, made me feel represented. <laughs> Damn it. I, I was going to impress you guys by knowing her character's name. And, Damn it. You oh, of course so I know this. <laughs> it's like my favorite character. All ever. right, go on. Um, so for me, this is, I would agree, Big Fish, 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 if I could speak, Big Fish is probably his best film. But for me, this is, will always be his magnum opus. But I yeah. have it a closest hope. Right. emotional attachment to it and i do think it is best representative of these uh burton um trademarks that we've been discussing right, those stylistic right. trademarks so mm-hmm. yeah as i said i love everything about this film the characters the acting that german expressionist aesthetic the dark humor uh again again that representation of the afterlife um and uh but i especially love just to sort of end my thoughts here uh the ending of the film so in edward scissor hands edward doesn't really have anybody he has to go back up and you know, he really only has his um, artistic creations uh, to keep him company. But in this film, Lydia, you know, she goes from being like wanting to throw herself off the bridge and she's very right. unhappy. And at the end, she finds people, or I should say ghosts, the Maitlands, right, right. <laughs> that uh, accept and support her. And um, and she embrace, she's, you know, much happier and embraces life more than she did before. And of course, there's the ending with 
I forget that song where the she starts song. floating. Oh, no, no, the no. one at the end where uh, she's... Sonora. Sonora, she, thank she, you. Yeah, 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 where she starts floating around. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just, I love it. I, I can't so hear you. Yeah. I, go ahead, Bruce, your thoughts. I have some strange ones. Um, as always, Michelle stole my thunder on, on, on one <laughs> of them. That's all right. I just sort of under... No, I'll underscore we, we speak with Tim Burton and this nuance of being misunderstood. As mm-hmm. we're sister, time and time again, he's going to populate his films happily, even in Big Fish, misunderstood kids. So yes. Lydia Deach, it's no wonder the only people that really understand her are the undead. Yeah. You know, I think, yeah. and, and you already said that, but that, that makes total sense mm-hmm. to me. And I think there's people in real life that feel misunderstood. Earlier we talked about, Jade mentioned that, you know, growing up he considered monsters his peers, his yes. contemporaries, yes. you know what I'm saying? He related so more I to them than that, the, nor- so, the normies, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then so Lydia, you know, she's the only one that can see, you know, Gina Davis and, and Alex Baldwin, so how fitting is that? But you already said that. But I do have a couple of weird reasons for loving Beetlejuice. Once again, Jay said it. There's nothing like it. You, you're just, what am I looking at? I've never seen any, and I thank God I have to mention that they don't tamper with films like that. And who's to say now that I said that, Lord only knows, as in remakes and so forth like that. What I also will mention is I had never, believe it or not, considering nowadays, I'd never heard of Alice Baldwin. I was totally enamored, head over heels in love with Gina Davis. I knew, by the way, she doesn't wear a lot of makeup in this in this role. But look at what Alec Baldwin has become. The very next film, which I think October came around, Hunt for Red October came around like on the heels of Beetlejuice, which is a totally different role. But Alec Baldwin, like I said, I'd never heard of him, plays this very benign, nice guy, as opposed to this tough guy, 30 Rock, or even Saturday Night Live that we've come to, well, it depends on who you ask. Anyway. Here's the tie-in with Beetlejuice that uh, you guys didn't steal my thunder on. Talking Heads, as you know, is tied with Earth, Wind, and Fire's my favorite band of all time. Do you all know who David Byrne is? No, no, I'm kidding. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, Jay, do you know? Seriously, I don't know. No, you'd be all right. He's the lead singer of Talking Heads. Yes. I love Talking Heads. Like Tim Burton, anything this guy touches, breathes on. His wife is one of the dinner guests, and she's the oh. Asian... I forget that. Yeah. Forgive really? me for this. I oh. forget her name. I don't that remember. David I know Burns you're talking about, wife. though, but I didn't know that. I don't oh. even know if she speaks or if she does. It's a very minimal amount, but she's the Asian-looking uh, guest at the party. Um, I already mentioned the misunderstood relationship between the undead and Lydia Deeks. The other thing is, and I hope you guys laugh at this, the scene in the waiting room, if you want a really good filmic deterrent to smoking... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. What he's smoking, and then he offers Alec Bold, "Hey, you want to smoke?" Yeah, <laughs> it's I don't know. So I think that's one of those. That whole sequence is the guy with the know, shrunken head. I mean, all oh, that's yeah. just hilarious. The shrunken head. The the, the, the ending the ending sequence with Beetlejuice in the waiting room. You know, that was actually filmed post production. No. They, they, he added that oh, on. Oh, really? So, yeah. And I will say, uh-huh. I love all the, you were talking about the little things in this movie. Yeah. One of my favorite parts is when, when, when uh, Gina Davis's character builds a whorehouse. Yeah. On, or no, at the, the, the husband, Alec Baldwin, mm-hmm. builds a whorehouse. She's like, why did you do that? And Beale's just like, say, is there anywhere around here a man could do no, uh, and there's an old whorehouse <laughs> I know, that was in hilarious. Town. <laughs> like, like, why not? Yeah. Why did you build that? That was but funny. I, I just let, you know, 
I love this is one of those like that character. He just gets to eat the scenery, right? Yeah. I call it eating the scenery. Just go, yeah. just go. Yes, you do. You know, the, Robin, right. the Robin Williams thing. Oh, just yeah. go. Just He's do improv it. Do as much as you can. <laughs> I think that's probably why I love you know doing what? it. That's a good comparison, it. Jay. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? That is you, you, uh, earlier. You were. I'm still like. I'm probably gonna have that burn. I mean, you have nightmares thinking about Sammy Davis Jr. as Beetlejuice. <laughs> but let's let, let's be honest. Robin, the late great Robin Williams, could have pulled that up. Yes. So that's a great yeah. analogy right there. He could. I mean, Robin Williams was pretty much like Beetlejuice his whole career, right. you know, with some exception. But I mean, no. Anyway, that was a good comparison. All right, hey guys, yeah. wonderful show. Got to yes. end it. I got to yes. end it here. Michelle, thank you for coming thank in. Thank you so much. It was great to see you, Bruce. Thanks for calling in, my yeah. friend. We will. Uh, You're all more we'll than be welcome. Up, We'll be back on air in two weeks. We're going to have to talk about uh, those who have left us, as we always do. So we'll, uh, we will uh, block time for In Remembrance in two weeks from now. Uh, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful day. Uh, Bruce, take thank care. You. Michelle, take care. Yeah, have a All good right. day. All right. Take care, y'all. All right. All right. Bye-bye.